right, good morning, guys. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Are you familiar with Airbnb? You know the service I'm talking about? Some of you guys are. If you're not, Airbnb is an internet service that lets anybody rent out their home or at least a bedroom in their home to anybody else on the planet. Total strangers, you rent out your home to these people. Sounds like a great idea, right? What could possibly go wrong with that? Amber and I first heard the service in 2014. We were living in Florida. We owned a home there. And what we found out is that for one particular week out of the year, we had neighbors who were renting out their homes for nearly $2,000 a week. Because our home, our neighborhood was situated very close to the municipal airport in our city. And uh, for one week in April, every single year, they had one of the largest aviation events in North America. Literally, people would fly in their private planes and they were looking for private residences to stay in. And so when Amber and I heard about that, we thought, we've got to get in on that. I mean, we would be stupid not to, right? It's $2,000 for one week. We could take that two grand. We could go on a sweet vacation for ourselves and probably still have a little bit of money left over. I think we should do it. We'd be dumb not to, right? And so that's what we did. We posted our little house on a website. We said, if you guys want to come in and rent out our home, here's the price. There was an aviation company or an avionics company from Phoenix, and uh, they contacted us and said, hey, our execs want to come in and stay in your home. We'll write you a check. Everything looks great. And so Amber and I got on a plane, and we flew to Calgary, Alberta. It was the very first time that we had ever set foot in the country of Canada. We decided, let's go on a vacation to Banff, and we had some people we knew up here, so we spent some time with them as well. Everything was going great. Until I got a text message from my buddy, Nick. See, Nick lived about four doors down the road from us. We had several friends that lived around us on the same street. Nick lived four doors to our right. And he said, hey, I don't think there's anything to worry about, but... Now, look, I'm sitting on a chairlift in Lake Louise, and I get a text that starts out with, I don't think there's anything to worry about, but... He said, it looks like there's a party going on at your house. And Amber and I are like, oh no, what do you mean there's a party going on at our house? Give me details. How many people are there? Is it wild and raucous and crazy? Is it like a college kegger? Do we need to call the cops? We're on the other side of the continent. What are we supposed to do about this? He was like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to walk my dog down the road and I'm going to go by the house real unsuspicious like, and I'm going to take a look and I'll let you know what I see. And so uh, a little while goes by and he sends us another text message and he says, yeah, man, I'm I'm telling you, I walked by your front door and there is a party going on at your house. There are tons of cars out front. There's loud music coming from the inside. I'm pretty sure I saw some of the booth girls from the uh, aviation event in your house. He was like, dude, I don't know what you should do. I'm just telling you what I see. Of course, that makes Amber and I sick. We're on holiday and we're just miserable thinking that our house is going to be destroyed. We're going to get back there and we're going to have to redo the drywall and all this stuff. And sure, we would have been covered with insurance and all that. But when you're 3,000 miles away, and you've got perfect strangers staying in your house, the last thing you want to hear is that stuff is getting wild and crazy. 
So days go by, Nick keeps sending me updates. He's like, man, everything seems quiet, looks good from the outside. I don't know if they were all just hung over from the first party, but they're not doing another one. And so we're like, all right, maybe it won't be so bad. Finally, I told Amber, look, we've just got to turn this off. There's nothing we can do from way up here. We'll just enjoy our vacation. And when we get home, we'll deal with whatever's going on. So about three or four days goes by between that initial text message, hey, there's a bumping party going on in your house, to me having another conversation with a different friend. And I'm chatting with our friend Sherry, and I'm like, hey, we're just sick about this. You know, do you know anything about what's going on at our house? And she says, Daniel, you know Nick is just teasing you, right? (laughs) And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? She said, he's been pulling your chain the whole time. She said, yeah, there were some people over at your house, but it was literally like five guys in the backyard using your barbecue, throwing the Frisbee. He was just messing with you this whole time. And I'm like, I'm going to kill that kid. You know, I was so furious. I was so upset because we wasted a lot of time being upset at the idea that there was this crazy party going on at our house. I was glad to know that that was not the case. I started to think through it though. And it occurred to me that the reason, or at least part of the reason that I was so upset at the idea of these guys throwing a party in my house is that they're not the owners of my house. I'm the owner of the house. If anybody should be throwing a party, it's me. And I hadn't done that recently, so I was a little jealous. But I thought, they don't own the place. It's not theirs to do what they want with it. They told me they were just going to crash and they were going to be at the event all day. And now here I am thinking that they're throwing a giant party. See, they had been given possession of my house for a little while, but they did not own my house. I was the one who was ultimately responsible for it. I was the one who should have been able to decide what happened or what didn't happen inside of the house. There is a difference between possessing something and owning something. And that difference is going to be key as we continue to talk about being rich. We started this series last week, and we started it because we live in a world where everybody is trying to get rich. And that's not a bad thing. I told you last week as your pastor, man, I'm praying you get as rich as you could possibly hope to. I hope you just get tons of of blessing and favor. I hope your business goes well. I hope you get the promotion. I hope you retire with a great big savings account. I hope all of that for you. I want you to get rich, but only if while you're getting rich, you understand what it means to actually be rich. Because there are rich people in our world. They're rich by any standard that you want to measure them, and they're bad at being rich. They use all of the resources that they have only on themselves. They never give. They're not generous. And that is actually contrary to the idea of being rich. They've gotten rich, but they haven't learned to be rich. And so last week we said, hey, if you are going to spend your life trying to get wealth, then we want you to be good at it when it eventually comes. We want you to know how to use it well in a way that benefits and blesses and serves the world around you. And if you're a Christian, a way that honors the God who provided it all to you. We told you last week, the biggest myth that you need to get rid of in your heart and in your life when it comes to wealth is the idea that I'll give more when I get more. Do you remember us saying that? It's not true. We know statistically, we know personally and anecdotally that we don't give more just because we get more. And if we want to call ourselves generous 
people, generous with our time, generous with our finances, generous with our relationships. If we want to call ourselves generous, then we need to learn to be generous now if we ever hope to be generous later. I want you to be rich. And understanding this principle of ownership is going to be key to unleashing generosity in your life. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're actually going to read the exact same passage of scripture that we read last week. We're going to spend four weeks in this same passage because it's so dense. It's so rich. There's so much in there. Yeah, that was lame. There's so much in there that we could easily spend more than that, but we're going to condense it down to four weeks. First Timothy chapter number six, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our own enjoyment. He says, tell them to use their money for good. They should be rich in good deeds. There's the phrase from which we get the title of this series. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. This is a powerful, powerful passage on wealth and generosity. I'm telling you, there's stuff in here that will apply to you whether you've been a Christian for years or you don't believe there's a God at all. If you can grab a hold of a couple of these principles and start to put them to work in your life, I promise you, you will be the generous person that you've always said that you were deep down inside. Now, we're going to highlight one section, just one little phrase from this passage today. It's that section that's underlined on the screen where it says that our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I want to dig in deep to that because, again, it's all about ownership. And if you can understand who really owns everything in your life, then you are freer to be generous than you could have ever imagined. God richly gives us everything we need for our enjoyment. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus, then you probably read that and you kind of nod your head along. You say, yeah, of course, God is the one who owns everything. God is the one who distributes everything. He created it after all. It's his and he apportions it out the way that he wants. If you're a Christian, this is probably not a new concept to you. In fact, there may be some other verses that come to mind. You might think of Genesis 1.1, the opening verse of the Bible, where the scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's nothing in existence that God did not have a hand in bringing into being. God created everything. You might think of Psalm chapter number 24 that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that is within it. The people and all nations are his. God owns everything. Everything in existence in our world, the scripture says God owns. And if you're a believer, you say, yeah, yeah, I understand that. You might think of James chapter number one, verse 17, that says every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from our heavenly father. The consistent teaching of the Bible from start to finish is that God creates everything He owns everything and he distributes everything as he sees fit. Everything in existence. That means your home, 
actually belongs to God. You think it belongs to you, in actuality it belongs to the bank, but the bank ultimately belongs to God. So everything that you own, it really belongs to God. That includes your house, that includes your car, that includes the atoms and molecules that make up your cute little babies. Everything that exists, the Bible says, belongs to God. And everything that you have is given as a gift from God. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's nothing new. You're like, yep, I get it. I've been hearing this my whole life. But if you're here this morning and you come from a more skeptical perspective, this verse probably frustrates you. Because you're sitting here thinking, wait a sec, God didn't give me anything. Did God go to school and get a master's degree? No, I'm pretty sure that was me. I'm the one paying the student loans off, not Jesus. You might be thinking to yourself, God didn't give me my job. I was the most qualified candidate and I earned that contract. You might say, look, God didn't give me my promotion. He didn't give me my wife. I had to work for that. I had to ask her three times before she said yes. But finally, I cracked the code and she gave in. I have worked for everything that I have. I don't know how you can say God is the one who owns and God is the one who gives because I have everything because of the work that I've done with my own two hands. Even if you wouldn't say it in these words, you probably would look at all the stuff, you know, your resources in your life. Again, it can be physical things, it could be time, it could be finances. You would look at all of those things and say, these are mine. These are mine. It's my house. It's my car. These are my kids. This is my job. This is my life. I have earned all of these things. And so I will do what I want with them. Now, I want to acknowledge that you have probably worked very, very hard for everything that you have. In fact, if you've been at all successful, you probably have put in a ton of hours to get your degree to get hired, to get the boss's attention, to get the promotion, to become an executive, to get paid in a way that makes you feel like you have made it, you've arrived, you've been successful. I have no doubt that you've worked incredibly hard for everything that you have. But let me assume for just a moment that your worldview is correct and there is no God. Let's just assume that, okay? It's okay, safe place, we can do that, not a problem. Let's assume that there is no God. Even if there is no God who owns everything, I wonder, do we really have any right to claim that we own anything? Do we actually have that right? Like, let's think about it from a totally secular, non-biblical perspective for just a moment, because that's where some of you guys are. Let's think about it from that perspective. Science tells us that the universe is 13.7 billion years old. Did you know that? It is really, really old. And science tells us that every single atom and element that is in existence in our world, all of it was formed billions of years ago in the center of some star. That lighter elements were fused together and they became heavier elements. And one day that star supernovaed, it exploded, and it scattered these heavy elements all across the universe. Over the course of billions of more years, some of those things started to slowly creep together. And eventually they clumped together and they started spinning together and they became a little ball that billions of years after that would be called Earth. 
And inside of that are all the elements that were formed billions and billions of years ago in some star far away. Then along come some advanced primates. And we mine and we refine all of these elements. We make trinkets and we make gadgets. And then we have the nerve to say, I own it. It's mine. When in reality, at best, we get to hold on to those elements, those atoms, those resources for what? 60, 70 years? And then we have to give them up. We don't get to keep them. You don't take them with you. You will turn them over again. Your truck will rust away. Give it enough time, it'll be gone. Every single person on the planet one day will return to the dust from whence they came. And then science tells us that all of this is just an endless cycle, that it goes on and on and on. And every time one star explodes and something new forms, eventually it is scattered and then it all starts over again. Some scientists believe from a universal scale that our universe is just one of an infinite number of ones that have existed and will continue to exist. So I wonder, does it make any sense at all for any of us, whether we're religious or non-religious, to look at our stuff and say, that's mine? I own it. I control it. Or does it make more sense to say we possess it for a short amount of time and then we have to give it back up again? That's true whether you're a Christian or not. That's true whether you believe in a God who provides or not. We have no right to claim ownership of anything. At best, we possess or we manage for a short little while. See, that's the conclusion of the biblical teaching. I find this so fascinating, you guys. Fascinating that 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, God was using pre-modern people to write exactly what we've discovered through science thousands of years in the future. That we don't own it, we simply manage it. The only question is where it comes from. You believe the universe gave it to you. I believe God did. No matter what, neither one of us gets to hold on to it forever. So maybe it would do us a lot of good if we just stopped thinking in those terms. Now, I'm not talking about getting crazy, okay? It's still okay to say, this is my car, or this is my church, or this is my wife. But we understand that when I say Amber is my wife, I'm not claiming ownership of her. Maybe we need to start treating our stuff the way we treat our people, That we say it's mine, but we don't think of it in terms of ownership. We think of it in terms of something to manage. The biblical term is stewardship. Somebody who takes a resource that's been given to them and invests it well. That's what God wants from us. That's why in the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, the Bible says that if there's one quality that has to be true of a manager, they have to be faithful Not faithful in the sense that they show up every day. Not faithful in the sense that you know exactly what they're going to do. But faithful in the sense that they do with those resources that are placed in their hands what the owner of the resources would have them to do. Let me put it to you like this. Let's say you have a chainsaw. I was trying to find a chainsaw this week. I couldn't find one. I had to go rent one. It was a total waste of 50 bucks. But anyway, (laughs) 
Some of you are gonna come up to me now after the service and you're gonna say, I had a chainsaw, dude. I would have loaned it to you. Where were you a week ago? Anyway, all right. I need to stop being bitter about this. Um, Let's say you have a chainsaw and I come to you and say, hey, I wanna borrow your chainsaw. And you're like, okay, cool. You're probably gonna go cut down a Christmas tree. And you give me your chainsaw and I take it and I start cutting concrete blocks with your wood chainsaw. Don't do that. That'll ruin it, right? You would be furious when I brought you back this mangled chainsaw because you own it and you never intended it for it to be used to cut concrete. As the owner, you get to decide what it's used for. And when somebody misuses it, when they misappropriate it, when they take it and say, I'm going to do what I want with it because now it's mine, you say, it's not yours. You only have it for three days. And then I told you I needed it back. Let's say you own a bakery. You have your own business. You're the owner. You've turned over day-to-day operations to an on-site manager. One day you find out that your on-site manager is using your back room to cut people's hair, make a little money on the side. You would be furious as the owner. You wouldn't stand for that because that's not what you intended, what you owned to be used for. You wouldn't stand for that. You'd fire them. You'd say, you're mismanaging, you're misappropriating the resources that I've placed in your hand. Now, if God owns everything, and I realize that's a step that not all of you can take, but if you can take that, if you say, yeah, I would generally agree with that, I think that's probably true, God is the one who owns and gives everything, then as believers, we have no right to say, this is mine, I'm going to do whatever I want with this. Because the scripture says God is the owner and the owner is the one who has the right to decide. We simply manage or steward the resources that have been given to us. The passage says God gives us all things. Now that's true or it's false whether we believe it or not. It is or it isn't. If, if you're here and you're not ready to make that step, you can take a big step in the direction of generosity this morning, if you would simply admit, whoever owns it, it's not me. Whoever owns it, it's not me. Instead, this is a resource that I've been given to steward or to manage for the short amount of time that I have. You know that's true of your kids. You think, they're not mine. I don't own them. I've got them for 18 years. And so I want to develop them. I want to mold them. I want to steward and manage them in such a way so that when I release them, it's a net positive to the world. So let's also think of our stuff in the same way. I don't own it. This isn't mine. I've only got it for a while. So I'm going to use it in such a way that when I have to let go, it will have been a net positive for the world around me. God owns everything. The passage also says, God richly gives us everything for our own enjoyment. I love that. How cool is it that the scripture actually goes out of its way to say that the way God gives is richly and the reason he gives is for our enjoyment. God actually wants us to take these resources, these abundant resources that he gives us, and use them in a way that brings pleasure, that brings joy, that brings transformation to the world around us. And he does it richly. There are too many people, especially Christians, that operate from a scarcity mindset. 
who say, you know what? If I were to be generous with my time and resources, if I were to give away some of my finances, then that means there's less for me. That's a scarcity mindset. There's a pie and every slice that somebody else gets is a slice of pie that you can't have yourself. But what you read in the scripture over and again is that God really does want us to operate from an abundance mentality. That is to say, there are more than enough resources to go around. There is more than enough opportunity for us to earn, for us to have, for us to use and enjoy. We don't have to worry that if I were to be generous with this little bit of my paycheck or this little bit of my weekend, that somehow I would lose in that situation because there's more than enough. Resources are like air. Nobody is worried here sitting this morning. You're you're not worried that, oh my gosh, we've got 80 people here breathing the same air. It's going to run out. No, there's plenty to go around. And we need to have that same attitude with every bit of our resources. If I were to give all of it away, I just have faith that there is a God who richly gives everything I need for my enjoyment. Is that irrational? Yeah, a little bit. But we serve it in a rationally generous God. We're going to talk about that in our final week of the series. How God, his very nature is giving. He set the example for us. And so this morning, maybe you are going through some financial difficulty. Maybe you're stressed out with the thought of giving anything at all. Can I just say, God really does honor those who are generous. He gives them more. And if you will learn to turn over some of the resources that God has placed in your hand for a short little while, he'll replace it. He'll fill it in. He'll give you even more. God blesses generous people. Again, this isn't about money. I told you last week, I'm not making a pitch for you to give here at Connect Church. Go find some other great nonprofit in the city and give to them. It doesn't only apply to the local church. Anywhere we're generous, God honors that. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to give 40, I'm going to get 80. It's not like a one-to-one direct ratio here, a return, but God promises he does bless when we are generous with the resources that he gave us in the first place. God gives us everything richly for our own enjoyment. So this passage, it actually says here that these people should trust in God. Their trust should be in God, not in their resources. There's a pastor I I, I like quite a bit named Andy Stanley, and he's got a great line. He says, I will not trust in resources, or I will not trust in riches, but in the one who richly provides. That God's call is not for us to trust in our bank account, or our retirement, or the quality of car we drive, or the size and square footage of our house. God doesn't want us to trust in those things. He wants us to trust in him because he will richly give us everything that we need. Yeah, there are times that you might go without. There are times you might not have everything that you want, but God's promise is he will always give you what you need so that you can enjoy the life that he's given you. He says, trust me. It's so easy for our trust to migrate into our wealth. When the pile of money is high, we feel good about the future. And when the pile of money is low, we're like, oh, what are we going to do? And no matter whether the pile is large, no matter whether the pile is small, there is a God who owns all of it. And he richly gives you what you need so you can trust him. Jesus tells this ridiculous story 
in, in one episode from his life. It is like the craziest, most silly, unbelievable story that Jesus tells in the book of Luke. He's talking to a group of men and he says, hey men, which of you, if your son were to ask you for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone to eat? No dad would ever do that. Kids are like, dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a piece of bread? And you're like, here, chew on this. And you throw a rock at him. It's terrible. Who would ever do that? Nobody, of course. Now, the way he kind of wraps up his point in telling this weird little comment, this weird little story that he does in the Gospel of Luke, is he says, now, if you, being imperfect humans, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven give you everything that you need? The consistent teaching throughout Scripture is that God owns it all, we get to manage it, and so we can trust him that he'll continue to provide for us the things that we need. Here's what I think. I think if we genuinely understand this, if you genuinely come to believe God owns every bit of this or the universe or wherever you're at, that's okay, take a step in that direction. If you genuinely believe God owns all of this, then it's much easier to give it away. I don't mind giving away your money. (laughs) If it's not mine, it's easy. And if it's God's, if he's the one who genuinely owns it, then I can give it away freely because he's going to supply even more for us. I think it changes the question we should be asking. Rather than asking, how much of my resources should I give to others? The question we ought to be asking ourselves every single day is how much of God's resources will I keep for myself? We're asking the wrong questions when we say, well, how much am I going to give away? Am I going to give away 10% of everything that I own to the church or to charity? That's the wrong question. You should be asking, am I going to keep 90% of everything that God's given me for myself? It's all in perspective. And if your perspective is that God is the one who owns it, man, it becomes much easier to give it away. And even if you can't make that step, even if you can't quite yet give it away, perhaps, just perhaps, it'll release the hold that wealth has on your heart. We told you last week that wealth is God's biggest competitor for your affections. It is his number one enemy in your life because it's so easy for us, for us to trust in our wealth to trust in our resources instead of trusting in the God who richly provides. I will not trust in riches. I'll trust in the one who richly provides. 